0: Welcome to the 254th episode of the Reading and Writing Podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Rutherford. Stay tuned for my interview with Ezekiel Boone, author of the thriller series The Hatching. Just a note, this interview was first recorded when The Hatching was first published. Stay tuned for my interview with Ezekiel Boone. Welcome back to the Reading and Writing Podcast. My guest today is Ezekiel Boone, author of the novel The Hatching. Ezekiel, welcome to the podcast.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: Uh, Well, first we can explain to listeners that Ezekiel Boone is a pseudonym. Your real name is Alexei Zentner, and you've written previous novels, Touch and The Lobster Kings. So I guess the first question is, why did you decide to publish The Hatching under a pseudonym?
1: You know, we um just really wanted to be fair to readers. Um, you know, I think when readers pick up a book, if they know the author previously, they have a certain expectation. And, you know, I'm immensely proud of my literary novels, but they're very different. And um, between my agent and my editor, we just didn't think it was fair to sort of put it out under the name Alexi and then have those readers kind of come up, you know, open the book and sort of realize, okay, this is not the same thing. Um, <laughs> so we really wanted to be you know, the, sort of the novels by Ezekiel Boone are their own thing, and so we really want readers to sort of know, okay, if you're reading a book by Ezekiel Boone, you know what you're getting.
0: Great. And and how did you come up with the name Ezekiel Boone?
1: Um, I wish I had a great story about this, but honestly, my agent suggested it, and I thought, that's awesome, and we can get the website. So <laughs> um, we wanted something, you know, we wanted something, the, you know, the books are kind of a little scary, they're they're fast. We wanted something that had a little bit of a biblical overtone, um, and something that was that sounded fun.
0: Got it. So, so do you plan to write more Alexi Zintner novels?
1: I do. I do. I, you know, I, I love literary fiction. Um, you know, and the reason I'm writing as, as Zeke is that my first love really was genre. I mean, I grew up reading science fiction, fantasy, uh, mysteries, thrillers, horror. Um, and I came to literary fiction later. so I love literary fiction. But it's very, very different, it's kind of—it's fun. It's like being able to be a jazz musician who also plays in a uh, stadium rock band.
0: Got it. Well, can you read two or three pages from the novel, the Ezekiel Boone novel, The Hatching?
1: Sure, I'd be happy to. So I'm going to read from the the first bit of the book, and this is a slightly condensed version of the first chapter. The guide wanted to tell the group of Americans to shut up. Of course they weren't seeing any animals. Their constant complaining was driving them away. Only the birds remained, and even they seemed skittish. He was just a guide, however, so he said nothing. He glanced back at Henderson and decided it was time for another break. They'd had to stop every 20 minutes so that rich man could run into the bush and move his bowels, and now the guide was worried that Henderson might be overexerting himself. It wasn't that Henderson was grossly fat, but he was definitely large and clearly struggling to keep pace with the rest of the group. The tall man, who was Henderson's bodyguard, and the three women, though, were all in good shape. The women, in particular, all looked embarrassingly athletic and young, 20 or 30 years younger than Henderson. It was obvious the heat was getting to him. His face was red, and he kept mopping at his forehead with a damp handkerchief. Henderson was older than the women, but he looked too young for a heart attack. Still, the guide thought, it wouldn't hurt to keep him well hydrated. The day wasn't any hotter than normal, but even though the group had come directly from Machu Picchu, they didn't seem to understand they were still at elevation. They weren't actually inside Manu National Park, which they didn't seem to understand either. The guide could have explained that they were technically allowed only in the larger biosphere area, and the park itself was reserved for researchers' staff and the indigenous Mach- Machigangua, but it all it would have done was disappoint them even more than they already were. Any chance we'll see a lion, Mickey? One of the women asked him. The woman next to her swung off her backpack and dropped it to the ground. For God's sake, Tina, the woman said, shaking her head so that her hair swung around her face and her shoulders. We're in Peru, not Africa. You're going to make Miggy think that Americans are idiots. There aren't any lions in Peru. We could see a jaguar, though. The guide had introduced himself as Miguel. They'd immediately taken to calling him Miggy, as if Miguel were just a suggestion. Well, he did not think all Americans were idiots. When he wasn't leading expeditions of tourists on eco treks, he often worked with scientists inside the park most of them from American universities. He was beginning to think that, despite the presence of Henderson, who is by all accounts a genius, this particular group seemed to have more idiots than normal. They were not going to see a lion, and no matter what the woman said, they weren't going to see a jaguar either. Miguel had been working here for the tour company for nearly three years, and even he'd never seen a jaguar. Not that he was truly an expert. He'd been born and raised in Lima, and the only reason he was there, instead of back in the city of more than 8 million, was a girl. They'd gone to university together, And when she landed a plum job as a research assistant, he managed to squirm his way into helping out inside the park occasionally. He watched the Americans take water or little bars wrapped in plastic out of their backpacks. And then he walked a few paces further down the path. He was made nervous today by the jungle. It was unsettling how quiet it was aside from the nattering of the group behind him. They'd been complaining about the lack of animals. And if he'd been honest with them, and he hadn't because that was not what a guide was paid to be, he would have told the the group that he was bothered by it as well. Usually they would have seen more animals than they could have asked for. Sloths, capybara, brocket, monkeys. God, they loved the monkeys. The tourists could never get enough monkeys. And insects, of course. They were usually everywhere. And When all failed to keep the tourists entertained, Miguel, who'd never been scared of spiders, would often pick one up on the end of a branch and surprise one of the women in the group with it. He loved the way they shrieked when he brought it closer for them to see and the way the men tried to pretend as though the spider didn't bother them. Miguel watched Henderson disappear into the trees so he could go to the bathroom, and then turned to look ahead again. The tour company kept the path well enough maintained that it was easy to move tourists along when there wasn't somebody like Henderson who needed to keep stopping. They bulldozed a strip and then tasked the guides to stand on the path so no one would get lost. There wasn't a cloud anywhere, and for a moment Miguel wished he were on a beach instead of leading this group of Americans. A bird flew over the breach in the canopy. The guide watched it for a second and was about to turn back to the group to see if Henderson had, made it, Henderson had made it back from his bathroom break when he realized something was wrong with the bird. It was flapping its wings frantically, moving erratically. The bird was struggling to stay in the air. But there was something more. The guide wished he had a pair of binoculars because the, bird, the bird's feathers looked wrong. They looked like they were rippling, like there was... The bird fell from the sky. It stopped struggling and simply plummeted. Miguel shivered. The women were still chattering behind him but there were no other animal sounds in the jungle. Even the birds were quiet. He listened more closely, and then he heard something. A rhythmic pounding, leaves crunching. He just about figured out what it was when a man burst around the bend in the path. Even from a 100 meters away, it was clear something was wrong. The man saw Miguel and screamed at him, but Miguel couldn't make out the words. Then the man glanced at the path behind him, and as he did so, he tripped, falling heavily. It looked to Miguel like a black river rushed up behind him. The man had only managed to get to his knees before the dark mass rolled over and around him. Miguel took a few steps backward, but he found that he didn't want to turn away. The black river stayed on top of the man, roiling and building as if it was dammed by something. There was a lumpy movement, the man underneath still struggling, and then the lump collapsed. The black water splashed out to cover the path. From where Miguel was standing, it looked like the man had simply disappeared. And then the blackness started streaming toward him, covering the path and moving quickly, almost as fast as a man could run. Miguel didn't knew he should be running. There's something hypnotic in the quietness of the water. It didn't roar like a river. If anything, it seemed to absorb sound. All he could hear was a whisper, a skittering, like a small patter of rain. The way the river moved was beautiful in its own way, pulsing and at certain points splitting and braiding into separate streams before rejoining a few paces later. As it got closer, Miguel took another step back. But by the time he realized it wasn't actually river, that it wasn't water of any kind, it was too late.
0: That's great. Thanks. <laughs> so if That's... someone if someone listening hasn't heard about The Hatching yet, how would you describe your novel?
1: Well, I, you know, I, I, I kind of joke that I like to describe it as a beautiful, quiet romance, uh, but since my <laughs> publisher is marketing it as a sort of blockbuster horror-slash-thriller novel... What they want me to say is that the hatching is like Jurassic Park meets The Walking Dead. Um, or this has actually been one of my favorites so far. An early reader said the hatching is like if Stephen King and James Patterson had a baby, and that baby was a swarm of spiders, a swarm of spiders that ate everything in its path. Um, it's, uh, yeah, spiders.
0: Um, so, So do you remember the original idea or impetus that led you to write the hatching? And, and, and along that same note, I wonder when you, when you got the idea, did you immediately know, given our conversation earlier, that, that you would most likely write it under a pseudonym?
1: Well, so the pseudonym question first, you know, I never – I didn't think about that. I think one of the beautiful things about having an agent is that if you have a good agent who you trust, you give them suggestions and you think about business, but you mostly let them handle the business stuff. Um, and so I kind of said to my agent – You know, if you think it goes as a pseudonym, we'll do pseudonym, but kind of whatever you think. Um, But, you know, I didn't really think about it till the book was done. Um, But when I first had the idea, yeah, I remember it really clearly because I'm terrified of spiders. And I had the idea and I wrote it down because I write, you know, all this stuff down. And I thought there is no way in hell I want to write a book about spiders because they scare me. Um, And I started having crazy nightmares about spiders and about daddy in the book and I'd sort of wake up screaming and flailing at myself trying to brush spiders off of me and I finally decided I better just write the dang thing to get it out of my system.
0: <laughs> and and I'm curious about what was your writing journey prior to writing your first novel touch.
1: So I started writing I was a stay-at-home dad when I started writing and we decided to get a babysitter in twice a week for 2 hours and um you know, at the time that that sort of twenty twenty five dollars you paid the babysitter was a lot of money for us. And I remember the first day I went out to write. You know, the first day I was like, okay, I'm gonna really try this. You know, I went out to a coffee shop and um, I spent two hours on the internet. And shockingly, I didn't do anything. And so I came home, and then the babysitter did that thing the babysitters do, where they expect you to still pay them even though I didn't get any work done. And I was like, okay, I better I better do this. But you know, I've always been a reader, and I think it just took me a really long time to realize. That if I wanted to be an author, that meant I actually had to write, and I actually had to work about it, work at it. You know, I think a lot of a lot of aspiring writers, what they want is they want to be an author, and they forget that to be an author, you first have to be a writer.
0: And so, are you working on another novel now?
1: I am. The um so, um the hatching is the first book in a series, and the second book is in and it's in production. Which for listeners who don't know, that means that. You know, it's going through copy edits now and, you know, the cover is getting solidified and they're starting to do all the things they do that makes a manuscript look like an actual book. Um, and so I'm, you know, that's done. I'm working on the third book. Uh, I have another Ezekiel Boone book that I have just finished. Um, I hope it's finished. Uh, we'll see what my agent says. And um, sort of always working on new stuff. You know, it's, I'm, I'm a writer, so it's what I do. Um, that being said, today, actually, no, I've just been swimming in the lake and taking my nieces and my niece and nephew water skiing. So that's all I've been doing today.
0: Gotcha. Um, So you said that you had written this, um, the the second book was already in production. Can you, can you talk about that at all?
1: I can. So it's called Skitter. Um, And I think, you know, so the best way of putting it is if you thought it's, it's the hatching, but the stakes have been raised a hell of a lot. Um, You know, spiders are meaner and bigger and the world is in a lot more jeopardy. Um, you know, the, the, the hatching sort of ends with this, you know, it's funny, the hatching, when we send out advanced reader copies, which again, for listeners who don't know, it's like a bound version of the book that you send out early for early readers to sort of read. We don't, I don't think we, we didn't anywhere in there indicate that it was the first book in a series, and so there were a lot of readers who, when it ended, had this moment of like, wait, wait, what? Um, and so at the end of the finished book, you know, when you when you finish the hatching now, at the very end, it says Leave the lights on. Skitter is coming. Uh, yeah.
0: <laughs> That's great. So, so what advice would you have for aspiring writers who might be listening and are interested in writing their own novels or short stories?
1: You know, I think the, I think the thing that is hardest is that when people, people sit down, particularly for novels, short stories are a little bit different. But for novels, people are scared of them because it just feels like this huge thing. And they are when you're done. But nobody sits down and writes a novel. You sit down and you write a few words and a few sentences and a few paragraphs. And, um, you know, if, an average novel, like I think The Hatching, The Hatching is, um, it's about 330 pages, I think. And that, 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 that translates into about 90,000 words. Well, I didn't sit down and just type 90,000 words. Um, but if you think about it, if you type a thousand words a day, that's a book in three months. Um, and a thousand words a day is, is doable. You know that's that's a page or two a day, and even if you just write one page a day, that's a book a year. Um, so I think it's just sort of understanding you got to sit down and and just do it piece by piece. Um, but the first thing is is doing it. I think so many writers are afraid that their work won't be very good, and they know that as soon as they start writing, they're committed to something, and so they're afraid to start. I think you just have to at some point say screw it and go for it.
0: And so, so what is your writing process like? Do you do a lot of outlining or do you, do you just kind of um, – uh, is it more of a, a gut feel of where the story is going?
1: It's definitely changing. Um, I've been doing more and more outlining. Um, I tend to – when I have an idea for a book, I tend to sit on it for a while and kind of let it stew and steep and get a sense of where it's going so that when I start, I really have a pretty good idea of what's going on. Uh, but I've never really committed to outlining that in the past. And as I've started writing the hatching series and these other books, I've definitely taken more time to outline things. I think that, um, it's, you know, one of the things that drives me a little crazy is when you read a book or see a movie and there's this huge gaping plot hole that could have just been fixed with a little bit of care. Um, and I'm trying to remember there was, there was some movie I saw recently and some movie I saw recently, I can't remember what movie it was, but the whole movie, of revolved around a plot point that didn't make any sense and could have easily been fixed with 30 seconds of revision. Um, And I wish I could give an example as opposed to giving you this incredibly vague answer. (laughs) Um, But, you know, so the the real answer to that is that I am outlining more and more and more, you know, books that, that have a heavy plot, you know, that are sort of puzzles where all the pieces go together. It's easier to do the puzzle if you have the pieces to start.
0: Got it. So when you sit down to write, are there ever days that you need to do something to jumpstart the writing process for yourself?
1: Absolutely. Um, you know, I, I, you know, so this is one of those things where I can give some advice to readers that I don't necessarily follow myself. You know, for me, my own process is um, if I'm really struggling, I'll go for a walk or I'll, I'll I give myself permission to take a break and do something that is writing related. And I'm going to use that term really loosely that isn't writing. So I'll go for a walk to kind of take my mind off it and see if that jump starts it. I'll read something that I enjoy. Um, you know, I'll sort of step away from the computer. But I, for a lot of writers I've worked with, they really enjoy writing exercises. You know, any of these prompts and you can find a million of them online or in books and do, you know, five or 10 minute of exercise as a way to sort of get moving. Um, but I think, you know, I think what's so hard is this idea that everything you write should be amazing. And, we forget about revision. I mean, you know, when you pick up a book like The Hatching, you know, or any book in a bookstore, you think, okay, it should look like this, and it shouldn't. That's what it should look like after you've revised it and revised it and revised it and worked with an editor. But it doesn't look like that on the first draft. And so I think you have to be willing to write some stuff that isn't good sometimes to get to the good stuff.
0: Got it. So are there books and authors that inspire your own writing?
1: Yeah, I mean, you know, I grew up um my parents were really, uh, in, they were, they were really voracious readers and, um, I grew up reading everything. Um, you know, my parents, uh, my dad was, uh, my dad read Clive Cussler, Tom Clancy, Robert Ludlam, John Le Carr. Uh, you know, my mom was Danielle Steele and James Mishner and Rice Scott row, uh, Dick Francis. um, and I read all of those books. And so really reading really widely. And even now, um, you know, I find that when I read a good book, it makes me want to go write. And the books I read that I love don't necessarily correlate with what I'm writing at this exact moment. Mm-hmm. Um, for instance, right now, I've actually, I literally just kind of just discovered the Harry Bosch series by Michael Connolly. Uh, um, and so I've been like, re- yeah, I've been reading like one of those a day for the last two weeks.
0: Um,
1: <laughs> and I just started, there's a, a a, a book called Overwatch by Matthew Bettley, and He's at the same publisher and I just you know, read the first chapter of that last night and it's kind of a spy thriller. Um, and so, you know, love those kind of books and love science fiction and fantasy and all kinds of genre as well as literary fiction. Um, and so I, it's not sort of one author. I, I, you know, let me back up for a second. I think that um, you know, one of the questions that, that, that authors get asked is sort of who inspires you and who are the readers you love um, writers you love. and I think that all that really matters is that you read. I kind of always say that if you ask a writer if they read and they say no, they're either lying to you or they're not a good writer. Um, you know <laughs> And so I think the important thing is reading reading what you love. and i as again, so many times I come across aspiring writers who read the books they feel like they're supposed to read and kind of, they're not happy, and they don't like reading anymore, as opposed to reading what they love and trying to write what they love.
0: Got it. So where can people find you online if they're interested in learning more about the hatching?
1: Sure. Well, there's two websites. Um, my publisher put together the Hatchingbook.com, um, and of course, there's ezekielboon.com, and that's ez ecom or the hatchingbook.com. And, of course, on Twitter, I'm uh, Ezekiel underscore Boone, or um, there's a Facebook page, of course.
0: (laughs) Great. And I'll have links to those in the show notes as well. Well, again, we've been speaking with Alexi Zintner, author of The Hatching, which is published under the pseudonym Ezekiel Boone. The book is in bookstores now, so go grab a copy. And, Alexi, thanks for doing this interview. Thank you so much, Jeff. Great.